we started a series of messages uh, just a few weeks ago, and uh, we're talking about a fresh new year, four steps to making it count. And I gave you the illustration, as is so popular, about diets and things like that at the first of the year. There was a, there's a, a diet called the Whole30 Diet, and basically it makes a lot of promises. You know, cleanse your system out, going to lose a lot of weight. And so I read up on it, and uh, the, uh, the, the critic said, or the evaluator said, it does make a lot of big claims. And probably they said that's the reason why it requires things. In fact, if you break the diet even a little bit, just one bite of something that's good, uh, then you have to start the 30 days all over again. Now, I made a claim and said that if you do the four things, four steps that we're going to be bringing out uh, the last two weeks, this week and next week, if you do those things, then the end of the year, you're going to have a great 2018. Make your life count, and it's going to count. It's going to change you on the inside. Now, the commitment we made the first uh, the first week, because we have a response, we have an action plan at the end of every, every message with a little card, we ask you to have a quiet time or a devotional time. Read the Bible five out of seven days a week all year long. 833 of you committed to doing that. I think that's wonderful. That was a great number. Uh, and then last week, we ask you to serve. You know, not only do we need to bring something in, but we need to give something out. 120 people committed to serving uh, uh, in our church over the coming year. And you say, well, that's not a lot. Well, considering there's six, 700 people already serving, that's a lot. So let's give them a round of applause, all right? And we're so grateful for that. And what about, what about this week? Well, you can already surmise by the video, we're going to be talking about giving. And we're talking about generosity in our life. And I know that there's there's objections to that. You know, people think we're, as a staff, sitting around at staff meeting wondering how in the world we're going to get the money out of your pocket into the treasury here at the church. But we really don't think about that. In fact, the budget's been, been passed. We've already got have our budgets for the year. We already have our salaries for the year. And so I'm not preaching for my salary. Nothing's going to change at all. And so why are we doing this? Well, first of all, it's true, we'll see in just a moment, that God has provided giving from you in order to carry on the ministry and the mission of the church. We don't have any uh, old money here, as they call it. We don't have anyone just sort of sitting back, just giving, giving just hundreds of thousands of dollars from, uh, you know, the yesteryear from, uh, you know, from old money, and, and as they call it. We don't have any government assistance. You know, if, you, if you're here thinking that the government supplies us in some way, we don't. We just simply have people in their earning years giving to the church so there'd be food here, nourishment here for you to grow, and then a mission out to the world as well. I know that um, one guy and in, in one fellow in the first hour said, would you tell this joke because I really love it? And well, it's an old joke, old story. It used to be pretty new until I told it uh, 20 times. But here, here's how it goes. Three guys... Uh, deserted on an island, and um, the two of them are worried to death. I mean, a plane crash, they're there on the island, they don't know what to do, they're panicking, nothing's come around, no boats, no, no planes, nothing. But one guy is just sitting, laying back on the beach, just taking it easy. And the other two guys look at him and said, look, we may be stuck here for the rest of our lives. Doesn't that concern you at all? And the guy says, no, you see, I'm a wealthy guy. My pastor will find me. So, you know, 
We, all, we always get it, you know, always, always those, those kind of jokes. But actually, uh, before you have too many objections to this, please understand 15%, not 50, but 15% of everything Jesus said was about money. 88 times is mentioned in Matthew, 59 times in Mark, 16 or 19 times in Luke. Uh, and then also 16 out of the 38 parables that Jesus told were about money. Now, why? Well, money sometimes represents our self-worth, our status in life, how we feel about ourselves. It represents our time, represents our energies. It represents our security as well as representing the things that we want in life. And so there's a lot going on here. But you and I need to realize that among many other reasons why we need to look at this idea about money and how it's explained in the Bible is because of all the idols we can put place before God, this is probably number one. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, says Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. There was a survey done the day America told the truth. In the book, a survey was done. And the question was asked, what would you do for $10 million? Think about it. Well, in this survey, 25% said they would abandon their family for $10 million. 23% said they would become prostitutes for a week or more. 16% said they would give up their citizenship. 16% said they would leave their spouses 10% said they withhold their testimony to let a murderer go free. And 7% would kill a stranger. That's why I try to be friends with everybody, you know. I don't want to be that that victim. So how do we address this whole idea of money? Because there's so many questions that we can ask and answer. Jesus said about money, where your treasure is, there will your heart be be also. Proverbs tells us a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Well, we open up in the book of Malachi chapter one, and this, this whole book is known for just three verses and really one verse that's already been quoted on the screen just a few moments ago, Malachi 3.10 about tithing. But let me give you a little background here of what's happening. Malachi was written by a prophet And it was written 400 years before the birth of Jesus. 400 years would pass between Malachi and John the Baptist. Now, what was happening in Malachi's day would then set the stage what what happened in what we call the intertestamental period, the time in between, the 400 years. They were in prosperity. And because they were in such prosperity in Malachi's day, they were struggling with their faith and and struggling with the the finances and idolatry in their own life because of money. Not not so much worshiping a statue anymore like it was in the old Old Testament times, but now worshiping what they're doing with their hands, worshiping what they're making. And so Malachi is writing to the church, or or rather to um, the Israelites, and the message is very simple, giving is not so much what you think about money. It's what you think about God. So let's back that up. First question you might have is, why in the world would God have a right? Really, I mean, God has all kinds of rights, but why does he feel good about asking me for money? After all, I made it. And and you say, well, you know, everybody makes money. Yeah, but I've got the education behind it. 
or I've, uh, I've saved my money. Everybody else is spending their money. I've sacrificed a lot. I've got something in the bank. It's me. I've done this. I've worked for it. What right does he have to ask me for it? Well, that was the problem in Malachi's day. In fact, there were three different sins that they were guilty of. Look at Matthew chapter, or Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, a son honors his father, God says, and a servant is master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? Am I, if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Well, by offering polluted food upon my altar. There was an ingratitude here. There was a feeling among the priests as well as the people in Malachi's day, the Jewish people there, that everything I have comes from me. Oh, they may say, okay, it kind of comes from God, but really, I've done it. I've earned it. I've planted the fields. I've, I've grown the crops. I've, I've worked and worked from sunup to sundown. It's my money. And if I want to give any of it away, then I will, but otherwise, it really belongs to me. That was the sin of Malachi's day. They felt like the, whatever they had, their possessions belonged to them. And it caused them, a second sin, to profane the name of God, it says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? And saying, the Lord's table may be despised when you offer blind animals in sacrifice. Is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he show you favor to, do, to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Their second sin was basically something that maybe we can't really identify with, but uh, before the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins, the nation of Israel would come and sacrifice animals for their sins, uh, particularly for the coming year. And so they'd come and they were supposed to give the best, the best sheep, the best goats, the best uh, birds, everything that they had, Everything they had was supposed to be the best. And here was an Israelite and saying, look, uh, you know, I don't want to give God the best. I mean, what's he going to do, eat it? He's, God's not going to eat these sheep. He's not going to use the wool. This one over here is sick. He's lame. He's blind. He's not good for anything. Let's sacrifice that one on the altar when God was requiring the best. Then he says it went right into the third sin, and that is to rob God. Over Malachi chapter 3, it says this. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? All of this was like a blind spot to them. They were just living in their prosperity, living the way they wanted to live, and, not, and just going through the exercises of being religious. He says, you have robbed me with tithes and contributions or offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. The sin of Malachi's day. What is mine is mine. It doesn't belong to God, didn't come from God, but God has another idea. In fact, the Bible says that he is the owner of all things. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, it says, Behold, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it, everything, the heavens, the heaven of the heavens, the earth, it all belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1, that was quoted in our video just a few moments ago. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who, those who dwell in it. Everything belongs to God. First Chronicles 29. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty 
for all that is in heaven and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, for you have exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. All of it belongs to God. So where do we fit in? The Bible presents us as stewards, and stewards is just, steward really is an Old Testament English word, really, uh, for manager. God has made us a manager of his possessions. And a good definition of a steward is a manager of another's household or possessions. In other words, you have a master, and he owns everything, and he delegates things to you and says, look, take your lead from me, but a lot of this has to do with your decision. You are to manage my portfolio. You are to manage my household. You are to manage the things of my life, and that's what we are. Uh, God has given us talents. We're to manage them for the glory of God. We, God has given us spiritual gifts. God has given us a family. God has given us the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's given us a church. And he says, this, this is your stewardship. And it's a trust that I'm giving to you in order to test you to see if it's going to be used for his glory. And so God sees us not as owners, but he sees us rather as someone who is a steward. Now, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but, you know, pastor, it really kind of does belong to me. After all, I work for it. Some people don't work. I'm educated. You know, I, I really paid the price for my engineering degree. I'm a salesperson. I worked up my, my way through the ranks, and now I'm, a, I'm a, a sales rep or I'm a sales manager, and I work for it. I work 40, 50, 60 hours a week. I'm well-educated. Who gave you the power to have education? Deuteronomy 8 tells us that God gives us the power to make wealth. Who gave you your talent? Who gave you your spiritual gift when you were born again? Who gave you the, the ability to have an education? Who gave you the strength to build that house? Who gave you the country to live in that gives better opportunity than probably any country that's ever been in history. Now, let me ask you something. You take the same talents that you have today, the same spiritual gifts, and we'll just say you're not born in the United States. You're born in the 13th century and say Tibet. Are you going to be as wealthy as you are today? Are you going to be as successful as you are today? You see, there's nothing that God has not given to us. And you say, yeah, but I kind of still feel like it's mine. No, it's borrowed. It's just borrowed. I've never seen a U-Haul being pulled by a hearse. How much are you going to leave? Somebody says, oh, man, he was a rich guy. I wonder how much he left. He left it all. He left everything. Because we come naked into this world, as the Bible says, and naked we shall leave this world. We have nothing. Everything, every, every dime we have, every talent we have, it's just all borrowed stuff. Now, the reason why this is important, if I can just take a moment, our purpose is tied to our stewardship. Genesis 1, 28 tells us about this, that Adam was given certain rulership, dominion, over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air. God gave Adam a stewardship. God gives you a stewardship. In fact, if you want to discover what God's will is for your life, you have to look at your talent, your experiences, 
You have to look at your opportunity. You have to look at your education and pull all those things together. And it really makes a difference in discovering God's will for your life. Our purpose is tied to what God has entrusted us with. Not not only that, but our true riches in heaven are tied to it. Jesus said, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, it means just unrighteous, it means money. Who will entrust true riches to you? And Jesus is saying, everything you have on this earth is temporary. But when you get to heaven, the rewards that you're going to have in heaven are going to last forever. And so it's tied to our, our stewardship. It's tied to eternity. It's tied to our prayers. I, I mentioned a few moments ago, maybe, I mean, or a few weeks ago, somebody comes to the altar uh, this morning and they're saying, God, you know, I need you. I, I, I've got this spirit, I've got this deep financial need. What I need for you to do, God, is steal some money from one of the members in this church and put it in my bank account. Because the, the money doesn't belong to you, God, it belongs to them. You see, if you believe that everything you have belongs to you, then wouldn't you agree that everything that somebody else has and everybody else has belongs to them? Would you agree with that? I mean, that's logical, right? I'm not going to trap you. you know, it's logical, right? Right. Okay, that's logical. If, if everything I have belong, belongs to me, then everything that you have belongs to you. I have no right to ask God for anything. There's only so much, really, money in the world today. And so for him to take something that doesn't belong to him and give it to you, take it away from somebody else, give it to you, would be kind of like Robin Hood, stealing. But God doesn't have to steal. Why? Because everything on the earth, every dime, every, um, every uh, currency in the world, all of it belongs to him. Therefore, we're free to pray. So it has something to do with our purpose. It has something to do with our place in eternity. It has something to do also is tied also to our stress level. I mean, if I don't own it, why should I get stressed out about it? I guarantee you, no matter how stressed you are, the owner of who, whatever business you work for is more stressed. Some of you, you think, wow, man, stress is such stress at work. But when you go home, you kind of unwind a little bit. But the owner, it never leaves him. Just never leaves him. Hey, if, if I don't own it, if God owns it, he has to worry about it. I just work for him. And so as we look... We know that money plays a major part of our stewardship. Richard Halverson, who was the uh, chaplain for the Senate for many, many years, said this, Jesus Christ said more about money than about any other single thing because when it comes to a man's real nature, money is of first importance. Money is an exact index to a man's true character. All through Scripture, there's an intimate correlation between the development of a man's character and how he handles his money. So how much? Okay, if all of it belongs to God, does that mean that I have to write out a check for everything? So the second question is, and we're going to move a little bit quicker now, how much do you give? Notice it says in Malachi 3, he says, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. Bring the full tithe to the storehouse. What is that? That word, tithe, means a tenth. And so you're thinking to yourself, okay, um, when this Bible came uh, into really popularity 
in America in the 1700s, 1800s, uh, mainly people farmed. And a lot of people were um, sharecroppers. And so if you were a sharecropper, you, you planted yourself on somebody else's property, you grew the crops, you planted it, you harvested, you did all the work, you took it to marketplace, and most of the time it's kind of like a 50-50 split. So you're a sharecropper with God. He owns it, you're managing it. And you say, well, God, uh, I know you're God, I don't want to insult you, but 50-50, is that okay? You take half, I take half. I mean, after all, you own it. God says, no, that's not the good deal I'm looking for. And you get kind of nervous, say, well, what about 60-40? He says, what about 90-10? And you take the 90, and I'll take the 10. Just 10. Now, we think about how in the world am I going to give 10? Because you're, you're already maybe in so much debt. And by the way, we do have a couple of people here who are willing to help you through that. You know, we, we just don't want to get the 10%. We, we understand that all of it belongs to God, and you've got to see how you can best use the other 90 and make ends meet. 10%. Why the number 10? Well, the Bible says the, the number 10 is the number of completeness. In other words, seven is the perfect number. Three is the number for God. Six is the number for Satan, or really man. You know, say, you know 666, the Antichrist in the book of Revelation. Ten is the number for man. And it says the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. Now you say, well, what about, you know, Old Testament versus New Testament? Well, keep in mind that the people who say, well, this was the law. The tithe was there before the law. Abraham was there before the law. In Genesis 14, uh, Abraham began to tithe. That's where it first started. Jacob in Genesis chapter 28. And yes, it was incorporated into the law. But even Jesus said this, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, mint and rue, and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What are the others? The tithing of the men and the rue. So Jesus was acknowledging the fact of that. Now you say, well, yeah, but we live by grace. We do. But grace always goes beyond the law. In the Old Testament, you had to tithe. And it says here in verse 9, you are cursed with a curse. Listen, if you don't tithe, you're not cursed. You miss the blessing. You see the difference? In the Old Testament, I have to tithe. New Testament, it's a choice of every single believer. I get to tithe. Now, there's, there's ramifications for doing it and not doing it, but I get to do it. You know, maybe in the Old Testament, it'd be like the old days, even sometimes here in America. You know, you raised your children on the farm and they were workers. You had to raise them. It was a law. But today, you raise your children because you love them. You provide for your children because you love them. There's a different thing. Grace always goes beyond the law, on the laws. Mount Sinai was a place where Moses got the Ten Commandments. That's a, that's commemorative, that's a great historical place in the Bible to read. But something greater than that was when Jesus died on the cross at Calvary in the New Testament. Old Testament, you had to tithe. New Testament, you get to tithe. Old Testament, thou shalt not kill. New Testament, if you even hate your brother without a cause, Jesus said, you've already killed in your heart. It, grace always goes further than the law. Grace never excuses sin. Grace just simply is God makes, uh, leads God to deal with sin in a different way. So, what do I give? I give the tithe. A challenge, no doubt. 
But secondly, or thirdly, where do I give? The Bible says in Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe to the storehouse. There may be food in my house. Where do you tithe? You tithe to the storehouse. Where's the storehouse? In the Old Testament, you brought it to the storehouse, be food. Now that means that meant more than physical food. It meant that, but it didn't mean just physical food. See, there was a tribe among the 12 called the Levites in the Old Testament, one tribe of Israel. They got nothing, no land, no possessions, nothing. They were to live off the tithes and offerings of the rest of Israel. They were to be the priests in the tabernacle and later the temple. They were to serve in that way. Now, not all those tithes and offerings, of course, went to the Levites. It went to feed the poor. It went to a lot of different things, but it certainly went to them. And so we look at that as the storehouse. What is the storehouse today? It's the church. This is where you get the food. This is where you begin to get nourished so you can go out into the world and make a difference in your life. Now, the tithe belongs to God. Somebody says, well, I'll tithe part of the church and part to this ministry and that ministry. Leviticus says every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy, holy to the Lord. I think sometimes we think, well, boy, I tithe to the church, and so that's 10%. I can't give anything else. We think sometimes that the tithe is the kind of the ceiling because it so, seems like so much at first. But tithing is really the floor. It's a step of faith to those who have never done it. But to those who have been doing it, now we have steps of faith to give to, to missions and to give to different things. My wife and I give to Compassion International. We, we've adopted two children in that way as far as helping them with their education and their spiritual development. We also support another mission outside the church, but that doesn't come out of the tithe. It doesn't. The tithe belongs to the Lord. And to do anything else is kind of like telling God how to spend his money. And so we look and say where to give, but then when to give. Now, this is very important because there's been some people in the past, unlike maybe what you've seen here on the video, and I've had people that come to me and say, look, pastor, here's the problem when I started tithing. I paid the bills, and, and then I pay, paid my taxes, paid the bills, paid for the groceries, paid for the gas, paid for the house payment, and there was nothing left to give God. Just the opposite. You need to flip that. And the first thing you do is not, the last thing you do is now is maybe to give to God. You need to flip it. And the first thing you do is to give to God. It says this, listen, Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns be filled with plenty and your vats fill, filled with bursting with new wine. Left up in the Old Testament, what'd they do? What'd they do? Same thing that other people are doing today. They'd say, look, you know, I've sold the good sheep and I've even sold some of the sheep that's not good at all. I just maybe hoodwink somebody on it. But now I'm just down to a few little leftovers, and that's all I've got to give. You know, it comes first, and here's what happens. You give first, and then look to God by faith to stretch the other 90% as far as the original 100% went. And I think you're going to find out, and we found out this in our life, even though unlike some of the testimonies you hear, it took really giving our tithe and then giving above our time, it took me about 12 or 15 years before I got to a place where I was not living kind of poor. But God was faithful. But see, I wasn't doing it to get rich. Still not. 
So we'll come back to that in just a moment. When do I give it? First thing, what, what does that do? That conquers my idolatry. You see, the problem with money or any idol that you put on the throne besides God, what do you do? You choose that thing in life that you think is going to meet the needs of your life, whether it's physical, emotional, whatever it is, and that is what you place on the throne. And then you place your confidence in that thing on the throne. And finally, it controls you. How many people are in prison today because money has controlled them? How many people have lost their family because money has controlled them? How many people have lost their businesses because money has controlled them? What happened? They look to money to meet the needs of their life. When we give first, we are reminded that everything that we have comes from God. And God, just like he blessed it in the first place, has to bless it again. So when do you give? First fruits. Now, finally, why? Why do you give? Well, what I've already said, to combat idolatry. Money can become security, a cause for pride. I'm better than anybody else, you know, because I got more, more money. Status, a source of self-worth. How much are you worth? Don't we say that all the time? I wonder how much he's worth. You see, it's into our culture. Humility is the key to that. I'm reminded, as Brad said over the, the, um, the video, I'm reminded in humility, God, everything I have comes from you. Everything that I'm, I'm looking to in the future comes from you. I have nothing. Everything could fall apart if it were not for you. I just trust, not in my money, but I trust in you. And therefore, I'm honoring you with it. Then secondly, it does provide for ministry. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. Maybe food in my house. It provides for ministry. Food in my house. A, a place, as we talked about last week, a place where we can disciple people, lead people to the Lord, and a place where we can prepare people for the outside world and ministry in the world today, in their own community, in their own culture. A place where there's going to be nourishment here. Well, we look at our church, and I say this giving praise to God. Nearly 5,000 people have been baptized in the last 24 years. We've discipled young people, sent them on mission trips, I said before we had about 150 indicated that they were called to uh, the full-time Christian service, and almost all of them will say it's been some kind of missionary trip that's made a difference in their life. The care for our preschoolers, ministry for our community, missions around the world, salaries for staff. Why, why would you, somebody say, well, I don't, I don't want my, my money to go to pay salaries. Why not? Listen, our staff is working harder now than at any time since I've been here. Why wouldn't you want to bless them? Nobody's getting rich here. Why, why would you not want to do that? Well, thank you very much for those three, four, five people that <laughs> clap for that. I, I appreciate it. Um, what about utility? Let, let's take a vote. How many of you really like air conditioning? Raise your hand. And you wouldn't be in Florida if you didn't like air conditioning. Now, we've cut the price of our utilities because of a study we did a couple of years ago, but it costs $28,000 a month for utilities in this place. And you say, yeah, but you could cut out a lot of ministry, you know, BSF and, and Circle Christian, all, and, and they help out. But they're great partners in the ministry. Why would we want to cut out ministry? And that would only help just a little bit. 
But you see, it just, it just costs. Silver, gold, silver, and precious stones, 1 Corinthians 2 talks about it. Gold, gold, silver, and precious stones cost more than wood, hay, and stubble. If it's significance, significant, it has its price. And what about missions all around the world? We, we have given a million dollars um, to missions in times past. We want to get back to that place again. And so it's to provide for the church. Again, we don't have any old deep pockets in the church. There, there's no government. There's no foundation that's supporting us. no endowment. It just comes from working people that are obedient in their faith. Larry Burkett, who was a financial expert, lived in Gainesville, Georgia, but he was famous all over the world before he passed away. And uh, now it's, his ministry, I think, is called Crown Ministries. It says, if every church member of America would increase their giving to an average of 10%, he says, current estimates, back in his day at least, was about 3%, and this is probably about 10, 12, 15 years ago. There would be an extra $69 billion for overseas missions and an additional $150 billion in income for American churches. Just if everybody tithed. Well, what could be done? What could be done with that? Reaching the world for Jesus. But lastly, and this is last but not least, it's for you. It's growth for you. It's a step of growth in faith. Look in verse 10. He says, test me now. Nowhere in the Bible that are we challenged to test God except for in this verse. He says, test me with your finances, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows in heaven, and I love it when it, the New American Standard says, and pour out a blessing to you until it just overflows. That's right. The blessings from God. Now, I'm not a health and wealth gospel guy. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I mean, you know, some people are. I'm not. I'm not saying, hey, you give to God and you're going to get rich. It's not about getting rich. It's about being obedient. It's about being filled with faith. But you cannot read the Bible and the parables without realizing that when you give, God refreshes you as you refresh somebody else. You can't get over the fact that when you use your talent money, whatever it is, for the Lord, he's going to give you more. Why would he not? You become a conduit for ministry. Why should he give, keep giving money to somebody who spends it all on themselves when he could give money to Christians who do something with it for the glory of God? And so it, it does. It, it brings about a blessing in your life. It may take a, a day. It may take a year. It may take 10 years before you really feel it and say, wow, you know, suddenly now I know how to handle money. I know what to do with it now. And God is really blessing me with it. And so we look and we know that there's an objection. Wow, I just don't think I can do it. You know, it's just such a, it's such a, a, a audacious, audacious thing to do. Pastor, you don't understand. I just can't afford it. Listen to me very carefully. I don't want you to get in financial trouble. I don't. It's the reason we offer you there's classes and also we have um, some people that will help you personally, one-on-one -on -one with your finances. But I taught my kids to tithe. I don't want my kids to be hurt. I don't want them to waste their life or waste their money. And so I don't want you to get in trouble, but let me share this with you. Whether it's me, whether it's somebody else giving a testimony about tithing, which is, about, which is by the way, over 50% of our regular attenders here already. 
if they were to give you a, a, a tithing testimony, they would say, when I started, I just couldn't afford it. Why is that important? Because if it's not hard, it's not a step of faith. Every step, tithing is a step of obedience. And every step of obedience is a step of faith. And so as we close, I, I close with my um, favorite giving story because I ask you the question, when it's all said and done, what kind of person do you want to be? A giving person, a taking person, kind of a neutral kind of guy. Stories told of a pastor here in, um, actually in Miami, back in the 1950s, late 50s. And um, he was visiting someone in one of the apartments there in Miami. And he came out, and his car was out there, beautiful red sports car, was being looked at by a young boy. And it was a brand new shiny car, you know, convertible. And he said, son, what are you doing there? And he said, uh, sir, I'm not going to bother your car. I was just admiring your car. It's the most beautiful car I've ever seen. And he looked at, how much does a car like this cost? And the pastor said, I don't know. He said, what do you mean you don't know? He said, no, you see, my brother gave me that car. And the little boy said, wow, I wish. He said, I know. You wish you had a brother like that. And the little boy said, no, I wish I could be a brother like that. What kind of person do you want to be? Giving, blessed, part of the, the work of God, or just still on the outside? It's a step of faith. It just is. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.